So clap on one, three, two. Perfect. Was it? That was wonderful. Yeah, that was great. Oh, I've been practicing. And that's going to make it into the intro now, probably. Welcome to Unravel Our Travel, where two enthusiasts dive into their favorite trips, tips, and tricks. Lauren, hello. Good afternoon. Good evening. Welcome back. Welcome back. So we are just going to dive right back into it. So you got back from a big trip a few weeks ago. The last episode, we discussed Portugal, which was the first stop of this big trip. And now we're going to start into your river cruise. So first destination, where are we going? All right, we're going to Amsterdam in the Netherlands. This was also a new country for me. I don't know if I mentioned that Portugal was, but these were my two new countries of the trip or the Netherlands was my second new country. So we flew there from Portugal, pretty short flight, pretty, pretty easy, not bad. And we were there for almost two full days, really it netted out to maybe a day and a half. The first day we just kind of wandered the city um, and we met up with two of our other traveling friends. So I mentioned our friend Sandy joined, who has literally known my mom since before I was born. Uh, her coworker came, Cindy, and then one of my best friends from high school came, Emma, and she's actually the first person I ever went to Europe with, so it was kind of cool. Yeah, rounding it out, coming full circle with it. Yeah, not that this was my 25th country, but it, it was my 24th country. So it was cool that as I'm working towards this goal, that was really ignited when we went on that, that Europe trip in high school. Uh, it was really great to share it with her. So it was good that you had Emma to go along with you too, because it's it's as nice as it is to hang out with your parents on trips like this. It's also good to have somebody in your age group, I think, to kind of balance it out. Oh, definitely. What's funny is Sandy kind of felt as if ha she was a sibling when we were in mm. Portugal, just because it was a fourth person that added a different dynamic, even though she's my parents' friend. But it was definitely great to to meet up with Emma and have someone truly around my age. Mm -hmm. And was that her first time in Amsterdam too? Yeah. Yeah, it, it was. So we got to also share that together. It was all of our first times in Amsterdam. So that was oh, nice. exciting. Yeah. Yeah, it was... that barely happens ever. If you go to somewhere, if you go somewhere with somebody else, I think typically at least one person has gone there. And we were a group of six and no one had been. So that was really cool. You went to Amsterdam, right? Yeah, I have been before. I, I spent, I think, two or three days there and I really enjoyed it. I think at some point in my travels in the next few years, I'll be heading back there. Because I went during the winter and it was quite cold. So I think I would love to see it in maybe spring or fall weather. Definitely. And I would love to obviously get on a bike too. But And in the spring, the tulips are supposed yes, to be gorgeous. I, yeah, definitely. So that's something I missed out on. You mentioned bikes though. Yep. So everyone warns about Amsterdam that it's just an unbelievable number of bikes. And... I got that to an extent. Like, I, it wasn't that I didn't think that was true. But I was like, yes, I live in Cambridge. I drive with bikers all the time. Like, there's plenty of bicycles here. It was just unfathomable, the number of bikes there are. And it's so true. Even if they don't actually have the right of way, they have the right of way. I Every time there was a bike, I would jump. It was so scary. My heart would stop. I was like, I'm going to be the person to get hit by a bike, run over. I mean, I almost got hit by a bike when I went there. I think it's just, a, it's a rite of passage. And I thought it was funny when I first went to Amsterdam, the thing that solidified just how many bikes that there are in Amsterdam 
I stepped out of the train station and the first thing that I saw was a bike parking garage. And it was multi-levels too. It was the coolest thing ever. I know the one you're talking about. And then kind of across the street from that main train station, there's that one that's multi-level. But then there's one kind of like diagonally across Hmm. the street that we found because we cut the wrong way. It was actually a really stupid way to try and get back to our ship, which was uh, across from the train station. And it was just... Like, it, it was something where you would just tie, like, tie your bike up there. But the number of bikes, it was, like, a sea of bikes. I wonder yeah, if I... how do people just lock them up? How do they find them again? Well, that's the thing. I would lose it. But also, we were noticing that they were all really old bikes. Like, there, mm-hmm. you didn't see very many shiny, new, fancy bikes. And it's because they get stolen so often. We were talking to... Uh, we went on one of the riverboat cruises. Mm-hmm. That I highly recommend. We didn't do, there's one that's called like Love Tours or something, like Canal Love Tours. We didn't do that one. It was a bigger ship, and I'm really glad we didn't. I wish I knew the name of the ship to tell you guys that we went on, but it, it had um, orange sides, and if you just kind of stand anywhere, you would see one coming through. Is it like one of those hop on, hop off buses where you can just hop on the boat? If you're just running along the side of the river, you can and just hop on out. the boat. <laughs> No, we didn't do that. We did a tour. We did an actual tour. And it was a Friday morning that we did it. We booked it the night before. It wasn't wildly expensive, but it also wasn't super cheap. It it was kind of right what you'd expect to pay for Mm -hmm. it. But our guide was actually a historian. And we pretty much had the whole boat. And it wasn't one of the really big ones that are those hop-on, hop-off buses that you actually have to just wear earphones and they talk like it's a pre-recorded thing. Yeah. Uh, so he interacted with us. We could ask him more questions. And he was so knowledgeable about everything and really charismatic. But what's funny is that it also came with free drinks. So we got on this boat at 10 a.m. Like we did a really early tour that Friday morning. We flew in on a Thursday morning, so this was the second day. And they're like, Heineken? Coffee? Tea? And we're like, well, it's included, so Heineken, thanks. <laughs> like, cracked our Heinekens open at 10 a.m. We're like, it's vacation. I highly recommend that, though. I don't know if you did one, but it's one of the coolest ways, I think, to see the city, especially in a short amount of time. And there's mm-hmm. just so many canals. And there is a lot of history packed into that area that you do get and it's really picturesque but i do recommend going on a smaller boat without the pre-recorded so it's it's just more personal definitely i I would agree with that completely i did not get the chance to do that but that does sound amazing yeah did uh did that boat did you start and then end at the same place or did you drop it drop you off in a different part of the city nope it started and ended in the same spot which was convenient yeah yeah it was really nice so they did kind of a a big loop because there's so many canals and they're Mm -hmm. they're so connected so that was really interesting and we got to see there's a lot of houseboats there that we got to see from the water and obviously just the views my favorite thing that i i should have known just from seeing pictures of amsterdam but as you walk along like the canals are picturesque but the buildings like the houses are just so cool because they're that picturesque tiny little narrow tall house but each one is different. And it's just wild to me, especially growing up like in the suburbs of Massachusetts, where there's a lot of cookie cutter-esque buildings. And especially in the city, we have very blocky apartment buildings. And each one of these 
was unique, whether in like a variation on color or the windows or even the roofs. And I, they were just so fun to look at. Do you know why they're so skinny, Jordan? Does it something have to do with the bikes, maybe? No. No, I don't know. So they're super skinny and some of them are really, really old originals from, I'm not going to give you a time frame, but a long time ago. Mm-hmm. And it's because the tax was and maybe still is, I, I, I didn't quite catch that, but at least was on your, the amount of your house that was on the street. So hmm. they would make really narrow, tall houses because they would only pay taxes, like property tax on the amount of the front of their facade of their house that actually took up space on the street. And so when you go into the really wealthy areas, that's where you'll see some very wide houses. And that was a way of showing off how much wealth you had, the wider your house was. Oh, that's neat. Yeah. And then unlike other apartments or houses, you could almost picture these. Like I picture a condo because they're skinny and tall and multi-level. But it usually we asked it would be one family that would live in all of them. But the families would live in the basement and the front room, which is where in images, and I'll try to put one on our Unravel Our Travel Instagram, they would have kind of normal size windows. And then the windows would get bigger on like the third floor and up. And that's because that's where their storage would be. Hmm. And they would actually get everything in there sometimes via a pulley system. So if you look at some of the houses, they actually have like a piece, like the wheel part of the pulley or the hook still attached up on top of the house because if you move in somewhere our guide was saying you still have to use that to get your stuff in and out so you can rent the rope and that system for a day and and pull it in and that's the like most inexpensive way to move in and out of the house the dutch they're so ingenious they They know what they're doing it's fascinating yeah so (laughs) that was really cool but back to the first day It was, you're right, it was freezing even in November. Going from Portugal to there was a shock. I got rid of my, like, cute winter coat, and I was just straight bundled up for the rest of the trip. Heavy duty winter coat. And it was really dark and kind of rainy, but it made it more beautiful just with the dark colors of Amsterdam and, like, the, I don't know, we were near um, this really picturesque tall clock tower that is a tourist attraction and kind of seeing those stones against against the gray sky was actually really picturesque and beautiful yeah i think that sounds just the perfect attitude for amsterdam in general oh yeah yeah it was amazing i really liked it we did spend a lot of wandering because we didn't plan a ton for amsterdam or do a lot of research and our time was cut pretty short Mm -hmm. so we spent a lot of time wandering and it was Pretty dead for a Thursday night when we were there. It was really quiet. Was that because of the rain or in the cold? I don't know if we just were going to the wrong places or it wasn't a big night to go out or any of the above that you're mentioning. But that was really quiet. We did uh, track down, as you know, the food that I wanted to go to. So I found this restaurant that I 100% would recommend. It's near some tourist attractions and some areas that you might stay in that are common to stay. But it's called Bistro Bijons. And Bijons is B-I-J-O-N-S. Really easy to look up. But it's traditional Dutch food. So you have a traditional Dutch menu in a very cool restaurant. And it's definitely family appropriate, but they it's kind of 
what you'd picture of a Dutch restaurant, but then definitely the decorations have a flair of Amsterdam, and I'll just mm. leave it at that to keep this PG. Not somewhere that you couldn't bring your kids. They might not even notice. It's not that big of a deal, but I'm just not going to detail here. So you said something. Dutch cuisine. Mm. What is Dutch cuisine? I don't have the faintest idea of what Dutch cuisine is. So act- when I was in Scotland, I became friends with two people from the Netherlands. So they gave me some insight and actually cooked me something I got here. But it's a lot about, there's a lot of sausage. So kind of from that German side of the culture. And then a lot of root vegetables. So cabbage, that sort of thing. And I honestly think that's just because they're easy to prepare. They weren't expensive. Uh, like most popular food and cultures, it used to be the really easy, like peasant food, to be honest, and then got accepted into the mainstream. So, and a lot of it's warm because it's so cold there so often. A lot of it is is warm, like soups or stews, or even known for their pancakes. Again, they're served warm. There were very few things there that would be served cold mm-hmm. that I saw as traditional Dutch foods. The one that I recommended to you to try was... Mm-hmm were bitterballen. Yes. And you had those, correct? I did. I love them. I didn't have them at Bistro Bijan, but on Friday before we like boarded our ship to fully go off on the river cruise, we found this cute little outdoor place because there was still outdoor seating in November like there was in most of Europe, which is so cool, mm-hmm. uh, and sat by a canal and tried the bitterballen. And then I had it again that night for dinner on the ship because they would try to do the traditional cuisine options of wherever you were which was a cool experience i love them it was a weird texture yeah that's the thing that i couldn't get over is just the texture because on the on the outside it's crunchy Mm -hmm. but on the inside it's very i would say mushy well jordan do you want to describe what bitter ballon is i don't so the outside like i said is crunchy it's fried yeah it's fried but to be completely honest i have no idea what it's fried out of and I think it's roe. No, it's not roe on the inside because roe is fish. It's eggs. like a ragu. Yeah. it's And it's kind of brownish. I think it's beans or something. I don't really know. Do you you got to tell me what's in it. I was confused because what I had written down was bitter ballin, meatballed with a mustard dipping sauce, pub food, in my food notes. That is the most important notes I carry on my phone when I travel. It's not, if you go into it thinking of meatball, you are freaked out in the first bite because I literally thought it just was an uncooked meatball because that's the texture. Like if you've ever made meatballs, the outside is fried, but the inside is kind of that soft, Mm -hmm. not chewy, but I don't want to use the word goopy, but like if you bit into a a raw meatball, I imagine it'd be the same texture. Yeah, it looks raw. If you bite into it, it looks raw. But it's not. The inside is not actually a meat. I think, I'm not going to say they're vegetarian because I'm sure there might be traces of meat and like lard and what they fry on the outside. But I actually really like them once I got past the texture. I really did like the mustard dipping sauce with them though. Do you typically have like three bitter ballin i think yeah i think in that appetizer we got for the table there was five of them and then when i got it later on the ship there was like three of them and they're tiny also it's row so maybe i'm thinking of some other thing that's called row but the row that i'm seeing is flour and fat cooked together and used thick in sauces hmm. and then they just pop meat in there so it is not vegetarian but it's good 
Sometimes when I'm trying food in other places, I try not to know what it is and just know the name and if it tastes good. Until afterwards. Yes. But what I got at this really great Bistro Bijan place was Stamp Pot, which is actually the food that my Dutch friends cooked for us one night in Scotland. And it's basically like mashed boiled veggies that I believe are like carrots and cabbage, maybe mashed potatoes, but kind of root vegetables mashed up. And then again, they're really known for their sausage. And so then with a sausage sausage over the boiled mashed veggies, Mm. so good. And then I had some of, um, I split snurt which is kind of a version of I know, it such sounds, a Dutch name. It sounds so gross, like snurt. <laughs> um, but it's a version of pea soup that's really popular there, and that was absolutely delicious, especially when you think about these very warm, filling foods coming out of the cold. So it, it, was, it was a great start. And we just had the local beer, because also beer everywhere in the Netherlands. Mm-hmm. And honestly, most of Europe is pretty incredible. Always, always. Do you want to go back to Amsterdam at any point? I do. I don't think I really would ever do more than three or four days there. Mm-hmm. But I only I saw a tiny bit. So I would want to ride a bicycle. I would love to go back during the tulip season. And honestly, just plan a little bit more and explore more. But overall, I thought it was really gorgeous. I think the canals are just so picturesque. Yeah, they're jaw-dropping. It. They are. And Stroopwafel. Stroopwafel is great. Yes. Yeah, when you would said pancake, I was trying to think of what other breakfast bread yeah. that they have. They have and a, that was it. a lot of like breakfasty bread foods. I mean, they're known for apple pie, but the Stroopwafel is like two hard waffles pretty much with a hardened caramel in the middle. So that was really delicious with some vanilla ice cream was also Wow. Good. Was great. Man. Was that yeah. for breakfast or is that a dessert? No, it's a it's like a dessert or a snack. Definitely not a breakfast. A thing. street food type thing. Exactly, a street food. I think I actually got it on our ship, uh, which we boarded in Amsterdam mm-hmm. on the Viking Air, our Rhine River cruise, which was really cool. It was fancy, very fancy. Normally, my mom, who as you know is a travel agent, got an incredible deal. Otherwise, I don't think i would be going on one until my 50s or 60s (laughs) which was maybe the average age of the people on board was there anybody else on board who was around you and emma's age maybe two wow Mm. there was one person who was with their family that it was their college graduation trip so they actually may have been younger than us and then there was one family that i couldn't quite tell the ages of some of the quote kids they're probably later 20s but then besides that no not at all but this actually they were telling us was one of the younger crews that they like the one, one of the younger <laughs> not average younger cruise, ship younger, age this was one of the younger ship ages yeah <laughs> so that was interesting they were like the people before this was the walker cruise so it's really hit or miss Oh man. Yeah. It was still fun. It was it was a very different experience and you have to approach it that you're just there as like it's a vessel to get you through the different stops. But definitely not something you would see 
a lot of 20-somethings on necessarily. Because it's not a very economic way to travel unless Mm -hmm. you have a deal from my mom, which is the only reason that I did it. Yeah, the way I see it is that you use a ship to enjoy your way to get to the next city. And then when you're in the city, you just go crazy and do everything impossible possible that you can within that time frame exactly and like i've said before it's a great way to get a sampling and there are cruises mostly river or excuse me mostly ocean cruises that have a younger crowd also doing that this most river cruises and especially viking and there's a couple even fancier ones i mean they're gearing towards people who have money and are looking for guided travel because every place we went there was some included walking tour or activity that actually I did love that part it kind of stood in for the free tours I normally do but definitely again yeah we're not their target audience but so that was fun to get on there and they did bring on great entertainment the food was incredible the bar staff was phenomenal and now it was great it was really small like maybe 120 people on there that's a good size And where were you headed next? Going from Amsterdam down the Rhine to where? So our next major stop that I'm going to cover is Cologne, Germany. So that was really cool. I had never been to Cologne before. But Cologne, some may know, is the world home manufacturer of men's cologne. It is. Huh. It actually is. It's where it was invented. <laughs> no, are you serious? It's where cologne was invented. What? That's, I mean, they named it after the city. Yeah. There's a couple... I'm just kidding. Are you no. sure? Yeah, for sure. Okay. Because be- so before cologne, there was eau de toilette, which was French. And it was basically, I'm going to get it mixed up. Eau de toilette, I think, is water-based and cologne is oil-based or vice versa. I, d- I honestly can't remember. But so they basically took that idea and were like, well, why don't we base it in this other thing? I think it stays fragrant fragrant longer. And there's two major cologne sellers or man- manufacturers. I don't think it's manufactured right there anymore. I didn't see any manufacturing buildings that compete for saying that they are the oldest. But you can actually go and buy a bottle of the original, quote, recipe for a cologne there. But we were there on a Sunday <laughs> So everything was closed. There were oh, no. no tourists. I mean, except for the borough houses, which are mm-hmm. kind of, I keep comparing them to breweries, but there's so much more. It's such a different culture. Yeah, it's a completely different vibe, mm-hmm. completely different mentality around it too. Exactly. And that's where we probably spent most of our time. We had a really long walking tour that day, which was great. It was freezing, absolutely freezing. But we were there the day before Carnival. Nice. Which in Cologne, apparently it's wild. So we met some really interesting characters from Germany that were there, like starting their drinking for the whole next day. One of our mutual favorites, Anthony Bourdain, I know. has an episode based in Cologne and um, Dusseldorf as well, its neighboring city. And he spends a lot of time there. And I think he actually went during Carnival as well. I can't remember that part. I just know that is where I learned a lot about Kolsch culture because yes. them and Dusseldorf have, it's like not a far way to travel, but they are such competitors mm-hmm. and the cultures are totally different, especially around the beer culture, which is huge in Germany. Massive. But Kolsch is very different from typical German beer. Oh, super different. So when you think of German beer, you think of Munich and Oktoberfest and this 
giant stein with an Oktoberfest beer in it. And Kolsch is actually served, they get teased that they're test tube beers because it's served in these skinny and medium-sized tall glasses that, you know, you could wrap your whole hand around. And it's usually a lighter beer. And it's served cold and it's supposed to be cold and crisp and that's why they don't serve it in a beer stein and they kind of make fun of the German beer drinking culture that does the big steins because you're sipping on it but it's going to be I mean there's so much there it's going to be warm very warm by the time you get halfway through but that beer is not supposed to be served refreshing and crisp and cold mm-hmm. but what's so interesting is you go into these bra houses and they each have one type of of Kolsch that they serve so you don't get a menu you don't pick like oh I want the IPA Kolsch no you don't even say beer you just order a Kolsch and what they bring you is the Kolsch that they serve at that borough house which is all slightly different depending on where you are and you drink it and it's these very traditional uh traditionally dressed servers that are always male that have to bring it to you and they bring it in what looks like a carrying a little test tube thing and they just put it all down and you have a coaster and the only way to get them to stop putting uh, more Kolsch glasses in front of you even if you're not fully empty the second you reach below the halfway point they'll put a new one in front of you (laughs) is you have to put the coaster on top of your glass and a lot of tourists won't do that and they just keep getting Kolsch put in front of them and you're charged for each Kolsch. So I have a question. Yeah. Because they didn't really cover that in the episode that I saw. Mm. How much is like a Kolsch? How much are you so paying for? So per... inexpensive. So inexpensive. Honestly, because we never looked at a menu, I couldn't tell you the exact price. But we had, it had to have been 10 at one point. If there were five of us, we each had two. Maybe would have been a little bit more. And I think it was maybe around 10 euros. So it was almost like a dollar a wow. Kolsch, a euro yeah. a Kolsch, a little over really maybe 150. And the way that they actually kept track of how many they were serving you because they would go around and just toss them out is on one of the coasters, they would put tally marks. And so every time they put another beer in front of you, they would tally it. Then the guy would just come up at the end, look at the tallies, do the math in his head and tell you what you owed him. And it was always- That's such a fun way. It was so inexpensive, but it was it was really cool. Neat. And did you eat any food there or did you go somewhere else to eat? No. So we had uh, at one of them called Fru or Fra, F-R-U-H, which is a really popular one. We did appetizers after our walking tour and just shared a sort of pretzel cheese dish, which was really good. The tough thing was when you are doing the river cruise, all of your meals are paid for and it's really good chefs and they try to prepare the local cuisine so it's really common that often you'll walk back do lunch there which is what we did and then we went back out and actually went to the hot chocolate museum and you could get hot chocolate with like baileys or any other type of alcohol you wanted to go it was really fun yeah it was really good so it's a museum so would it be possible for you to get the hot chocolate and then walk through the museum with the hot chocolate? I honestly don't know. The museum looked a little bit overpriced to me. Mm. I mean, I'm, I think the hot chocolate was a little overpriced as well. It was a really popular spot. But also you have to remember it was a Sunday and there wasn't much open. 
I mean, the restaurants were open, but for things to do. And it looks like they, this entire trip, everywhere we went, they were just starting to set up the massive Christmas markets. Of course, I missed almost all of them by about a week. But so there would have been one, it looked like, set up right outside of this. So it was a really picturesque area along the river. Uh, and we just got them to go and kind of walked back and then drank them on the way to more bro houses. And we went into like two more, which was really cool. I can't think of anything better to do in Cologne. Yeah. Except and- maybe buy Cologne. I know. I really wanted to, but everywhere was close. The other two we went into was Peter's Burrow House, and I don't even think I got a picture of the other one. One cool fact I'd be remiss for not mentioning is Cologne was pretty much completely leveled during World War II from bombs. So it's not a very pretty city, to be honest. I mean, along the river, they've kind of redone some of the restaurants, honestly, I think just for the tourist pole, where they have that style almost of Amsterdam where they're narrow and really cute colored but that was really redone after none of that is still still original Mm -hmm. and so the houses aren't very beautiful so I definitely recommend if you're there you want to go on a walking tour of some sort to learn the history or it's not much to look at but the one thing that still stands is their main cathedral that's done in a gothic style, even though it was finished in, like, the 19th century because they ran out of money halfway through making it. Mm. And they were doing it in the gothic style, thinking that they were being original and German, but then the gothic style ends up really being a French thing, so kind of embarrassing. Yeah, uh, that's a big point of conflict yes. between the two of them. Yes, and they also... We're trying to raise money at one point to finish this cathedral before World War II. Potentially before World War I. I don't remember the time frame, but a while before. And they realized that they could, you know, sell off pieces of martyrs' bones. And there there are some. And so, really, you, you can't give all those away. And people, they were running out of, you know, chipping off a little bit here and there. wasn't doing anything. And so they raised this mythology of this, there were these seven or eight virgins, supposedly, that were walking through on a journey to go to their princes or something. And they met a battle and they got murdered in this field. Well, all of a sudden, those seven or eight virgins, I think, became like a hundred virgins or something. They totally changed the story and started selling off bits of bone from this field of this field that there was a battle in, that there were all these dead people. And we're just selling off bones saying it was, oh, like for the virgin martyrs and people would pay all this money. And basically the whole city decided to just go in on this and like lie with with each other to try and raise money for this church well it sounds like it worked the church got built in the end it i don't think it got built until until a decent time later they still did not i don't think had enough funds but the more interesting fact that i'll tell probably more accurately is it's one of the only things that wasn't destroyed or leveled and at first you're thinking oh right because you know religion and we probably want to preserve artifacts absolutely not it's because in world war ii allies and really all technology you you, they would accidentally bomb totally incorrect cities especially Mm -hmm. when you're doing this at night the technology wasn't great and so the reason that they let the the cathedral still stands is they would use it as a point to calculate where they were dropping bombs from yeah you have to be hard-pressed to find a place in germany a city in germany that wasn't 
Yeah. At least touched by the bombings. But Cologne was just like just destroyed. Mm-hmm. And the one other thing I'd really recommend doing, definitely walking across. They have one famous bridge there. You can walk across it. It's covered in those like relationship locks. I think that's so sad. It just just it completely destroys the beauty of the bridges. It does. It's kind of interesting. I like to walk by and be like, "Do you think they're still together? Do you think they're still together?" Our guide was laughing that sometimes he sees couples go and use padlocks. <laughs> <laughs> and you will, you'll see some, and that kind of defeats the purpose because you can just <laughs> yeah, you can put just a combination and change your mind. <laughs> but the other, so, but it's cool to walk across, and then you actually get a really great picture and view of uh, the bridge in the foreground, and then the cathedral right behind it. So it's a it's a nice walk to do. And there's one other thing that you may find, and you have to really look for it. There's definitely some in the square to the side or in front of the cathedral but they're called stumbling stones and an artist started putting them around and what they are is if you look it actually has the names of jewish people that lived in whatever building they're in front of that uh died or were murdered during world war ii and they're put there and you're really the ideas from the artist is that you're kind of stumbling onto the history and being reminded and i guess they're they're somewhat controversial politically there but the guide that we had who's from cologne was saying he likes it because it's something that it's always there and you stumble across it and they're never gonna forget they won't be able to try and forget the past i like that idea because it's something that is a part of the city itself you're living within it and just like you said, you're you're going to be seeing it every day if you're going to be walking by it too. So then we went on to, okay, the next day was mostly on the ship, but we started it off at Marksburg Castle, which I believe is still in Germany. Everything starts to get a little convoluted, but it was a really cool castle that is just up on the hill, like really picturesque at the beginning of really the middle Rhine. Uh, Mm -hmm. the middle area going through the Rhine River. So we got a tour of the castle, which I just love that sort of stuff. And then they had really good schnapps there. Again, it was like 10 or 11 in the morning. And I went to buy some that on the bottle was a cute little bottle that said Castle Made. I didn't see any production there, but (laughs) that's fine. And as we're purchasing it, the cashier goes, do you want to try some? We're like, uh... Sure. And he disappears for five minutes. There's a line forming. And he comes out with three full schnapp shots lit on fire. Like, oh man, this is going to be a long day. (laughs) It was absolutely delicious. It was really good. It was almost this butterscotchy schnapps flavor. It was warm. It was great. That does sound good. But how do you feel about taking flaming shots, Lauren? Because I, This was my first one. I never do them because fire and alcohol... I got nervous. I was kind of wondering if it was going to burn my insides a little bit, to be honest. Yeah. 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 But it didn't. Is it? So- I mean, I don't really do shots anymore anyways, so. Yeah, that's something shots. for those 23-year-olds, right? Yeah, not not these mature 24-year-olds. Never. <laughs> Unless they're offered to you in a German castle at 10 a.m. And they were made right there in that And castle. they were definitely made right there. Whatever. It said it on the label. I'm going with it. So then, this was one of my favorite parts of the trip, actually. 
the ship cruised through the Middle Rhine where there's just like 60-something castles. There's just a huge number of castles, some totally in disrepair, some have been preserved, some have been rebuilt and are now fancy hotels that I could never afford to stay in. And they all have really cool history, and one of the crew members would come on a loudspeaker and really talk you through the history, and there's music, and you have coffee, and Baileys, and whatever, and you sit, and it just was really magical. It was absolutely frigid that day, so we sat in this perfect little glass area and would run out and try and take pictures. At one point, my mom started crying because she's always dreamed of going down and seeing this. Uh, It's Mm. been one of her dreams to go on this so she was so happy she was tearing up and it was very emotional and just really cool but the funny thing about it was almost every single castle the story the history would be you know so and so lived here and these two were brothers and blah 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 and then in this year which was all the same year that i don't remember anymore but then the french came and destroyed them and that was their thing the french destroyed every single one of them not thinking about as we often don't, but not thinking about posterity and and saving it, but just as a power play. And so they all have been destroyed thanks to the French. So thank you, France. Yeah, that entire area, though, that you're going down in the river, that was the highly, it was close to the highly contested area of Mm Alsace-Lorraine that was between between like the past two centuries, France had control of it, but then Germany conquered it, and then France took it back, and then Germany conquered it again, and then finally it's back in French hands. So it's just this very, very contentious piece of land that had, for the past two centuries has just been going back and forth. It was just like every after the fifth one, you're like, seriously, France? Like, come on, guys. Stop ruining the castles. Just leave it be. Leave them alone. And then that night, we were at this little town called Rudensheim, Rudensheim on Rhine, and we had an optional excursion that we did for a dinner there. It was fine. It was fun. (laughs) Also, the town, gorgeous, was completely shut down, probably because of how close it was to the Christmas market season. A lot of the little towns would shut down almost to prepare for just the long number of hours they'd be working with all the tourists. But it was fun. They they did a schnapp shot ski. They served some traditional, you know, German foods. Had some sausage. They did a, a couple traditional German songs. And it was a fun time. It's neat to get a little step away from the big cities, you know? Yeah. So then the next day we were in Heidelberg, really only for a half day. So I didn't get to experience all the lovely things that you talked about. Mm-hmm. But we did take a tour of the castle, and I loved what you were saying. It's so true. There are parts that are in disrepair and falling apart, and then there's parts that you walk through, and they were so beautifully preserved. You could just imagine someone living there. Mm -hmm. And all in all, I mean, we had great weather that day. The views were absolutely gorgeous. We walked onto this really pretty bridge and took some uh, pictures of the castle looking up. Yep. One of the things I'll always remember, or two of the things that I'll remember from Heidelberg are, one, there's this arch in the castle that one of the kings had built overnight in the secret of night for his wife, like the queen's birthday. And they were just, they were an arranged marriage as most were, but they actually supposedly were very in love. 
And there are all these cute little carvings in it, and many of them are woodland creatures. And he brought her out to it after having people make it all night long just to surprise her on her birthday, which is just really cool. Mm. And supposedly he told her, for every little animal you find, I'll give you a kiss. It was adorable. (laughs) And then secondly... There was a king that absolutely loved wine, and so you can go in, and I don't know if you did this, but see the absolute monster of a wine barrel that they had. You can take a set of stairs to the top of it, and I mean, it's like, it's huge. I don't remember doing this, but it, do you have a picture of it I that do. you're going to share with us? I do, and I ha- I couldn't even get the whole thing in the frame, but I have one with my parents at the top for scale that it's just absolutely wild. Like, I think I would get along with that guy. Well, it's unfortunate that you only had half a day in Heidelberg. I know. But considering that you only had half a day in Heidelberg, I think going to see the castle is the pinnacle, literally, of what you can see there. And then we wandered around, and again, it was starting to be decorated for Christmas. So that was really beautiful. Loved it. Good. Well, I'm happy that you enjoyed it, the time that you had there. I did. I did. The next day was also a busy day. Uh, We went to Strasbourg, France, which I really loved. I think it was so cool. We did a tour in the morning, and it's um, much of it is a UNESCO World Heritage Site. Many of the places we went to, I think, were. But these buildings, I describe them as, like, gingerbread houses is what they look like. There's all different colors, and most are still wooden with just these really cool designs on the outside. That you feel like you're stepping into a medieval village and none of it can be changed anymore, which is kind of a pain in the butt for the people living in it with crooked mm-hmm. floorboards. But it's absolutely gorgeous and they still have the dates painted on the outside of them. So some are from the 1700s, some are from the 1400s. And it's cool just to stand there on this cobblestone street and stare at them reflecting off of this little river and know that this house was built before, you know, our country was a thought. And how long were you in Strasbourg? We were there almost a full day, so we were there for a good amount of time. We wandered around. We saw the cathedral there that is called Notre Dame because it's not just one Notre Dame in Paris, France. That's just the famous Notre Dame, Mm. which was kind of interesting. So inside the cathedral, which I really recommend going into, is an astronomical clock. It's really cool, and so it's aligned... Basically, there's a portion that shows where the planets are, which is really interesting, but it all goes off on the half hour is the main one. You really want to go at 2.30, 3.30 that time because there's local time and then there's the time that the clock goes with and that is actually 30 minutes behind like the true time to what we Mm. know it is today. So there's actually a couple extra hands on the main face of the clock. But then, so at 2.30, it's just amazing that this is so old and so, like, technologically advanced. These little cherubs move and bang out the, like, bang a rhythm, basically. And then above, this is creepy, but so profound. Death, there's this image of death, which is basically a skeleton on, like, a throne, chimes out the time. Like, death is the one that chimes out the time. And if you think about it, at first I was like, that's morbid or weird. And then I was like, that makes so much sense. Because every hour, you're just passing closer, man. You march forward. 
Yeah. But, and so then after death chimes out the time, just let that sink in a bit, uh, a little wooden figure passes by him and there's a little kid and then a little boy, a soldier, and then an old man and they rotate through the whole day so basically the passing of time and it's just huge and and really gorgeous so when you saw it were there a lot of people there waiting to to see it not a huge amount i mean again we were there right before christmas markets and not during the summer so kind of in that off season i'm sure there would be more but it was in a little alcove in the back right corner so you also sort of need to know that it's there and have it timed correctly so we saw it twice actually and that, that was really gorgeous. So you can't really stumble upon it like you we did with the clock in Prague. You kind of got to know what you're looking for. You could if you were in there and you recognized it or you saw a crowd gathering. But the Prague one was on the outside of a building and in a square. This I don't think you could fit even as many people as were standing in Prague. Definitely still a pickpocket spot all in that, ca- all in that cathedral. Yeah. Yeah. What's neat about Strasbourg, too, is that it's one of the cultural and political capitals of the EU. So there's a ton of EU buildings all spread out throughout the city, too. Did you know that Strasbourg is Boston's sister city? I did not know. That's good to know, though. I don't know what that means or why, because there's nothing similar about us at all, and they're so much better. But that's what we were told by a Strasbourg resident. Hmm, that's fun. Yeah, it was really cool. We and should go were, visit our relatives sometime. We should. And there were uh, they were setting up their Christmas tree, which was really cool. Had some crepes there, and some French pastry, which was great. The next day in the morning, we did an optional excursion to the medieval village of Colmar, also in France, and I think it's actually in the Alsace region. It, and it was very similar to Strasbourg, to be honest. Like that same. It's a UNESCO World Heritage Site maybe looked even a little bit more straight out of a fairy tale and along a river some brighter colors they were really decorating all out for christmas and their market looked gorgeous so that was beautiful and i was standing outside this bakery that i actually walked up and down the street trying to figure out which bakery it was because there was just this wafting smell of of bread and a and butter and sugar that was the most beautiful thing I've ever smelled that I walked up and down the street like what is this where is this coming from is it this bakery what is it and then I went in and in my broken French which actually still gets me around pretty well to be honest nice that's good to hear I asked her probably in the weirdest phrase just asking what is that smell what like what is my nose smelling in my nose and I'm like trying to and she's like the macaroons and they gave us some for free and it was these really cool coconutty bready macaroons not the ones you'd picture with the filling in the middle yeah that's exactly what I'm picturing but there's two different kinds and I'll I'll post a picture of the tray of them but they're they're actually a different kind of macaroon uh that's more of a bready coconut like just one piece i'll show I'll, I'll put a picture of the tray on our instagram and then i had something else that i don't even remember the name of but it was almost like a really long flat baguette bread with cheese and ham and sour cream it reminded me of the um food in budapest that we talked about 
langosh. The langosh. It was pretty similar to that. And I had that and it was absolutely delicious. Was that a lunch item? It was kind of a weird (laughs) middle of the morning item. Like, it's cold. We've been doing a lot of walking. The tour ended. Let's go get something to eat. Everyone else got pastries. And I wanted to try one of those because our guide had had mentioned them. That's a heavy thing to eat. It was light. It was fine. It was delicious. And our guide, you would see all through both Strasbourg and Colmar, just incredible bakeries. Got some great cookies that I brought to the office that were a hit there. But they had these pastries that looked pretty much just bready, but they were cut out in the shape of a man. And I don't remember the name of them, but... The story is basically, I think it was on the 7th of December, they get put in kids' shoes in this area, and they're to remind them of apparently St. Nick brought back these three boys from the dead, but like seven years after they died, which I think is like the really weird part of this myth, uh, and they were murdered by a butcher, and so they, I don't know, it's it's kind of morbid. I don't know if it's like, don't go to the butcher, you'll know what happens. It, it's supposed to be more of... Ah, St. Nick and the miracle related to children. I find it so creepy, to be honest. Like, remember the little dead boys? Here's one in your shoe. Now eat it for breakfast and go to school. Then in the afternoon, we went to the Black Forest in Germany, which is where the tale of Hansel and Gretel comes from. Neat. That's a beautiful area. It was absolutely gorgeous. It was a very long bus ride from our ship. And the worst part is... Sometimes I just can't stay awake on buses and it was so long and I slept through most of it and I missed almost all the stories and I will forever regret that. Well, you just have your parents and other people to tell you what they're what they're saying. I was wide awake the whole way home, but that was when like everyone else was kind of like, oh, like the sunset, it's dark, like take your nap now. And I was like, <laughs> oh, but I wasn't tired. I'm not tired now. I was tired then. But it was gorgeous. I did wake up enough as we were going into the mountains, and it was my first sight of snow this season. And we got to this little village area, I guess. I would love to go back there and stay and go skiing. And we went on, they were calling it a hike, but again, you have to remember, we were on a cruise with the average age being a little bit older. So it really wasn't a hike. It was just a walk through the forest. But you got a little bit of a sense of how dense it was. I went to a little waterfall, which is gorgeous. We saw one of the world's largest cuckoo clocks, which was cool. Was that in a town in the Black Forest? It really wasn't even a town. It was like a resort. They had glass blowing. They had a cuckoo clock place. They had a very old, famous lodge that I think some princess stayed there one time or another, some British princess. And then you could walk into the forest. They were setting up a Christmas market. That was gorgeous. It looks like a really picturesque area to be. We didn't have a lot of time there, which was my really one complaint of the timing that they had for the cruise. We were there maybe an hour, and it took us at least an hour and a half to get out there. So Hmm. that was kind of a bummer. But we also watched a Black Forest Cake demonstration. It's where it's from, which is cool. What is a Black Forest Cake? So it's kind of a chocolate, red, velvety type cake and then it's covered in i think it's i don't know like a whipped cream frosting with cherries there's cherry liqueur or some sort of liqueur paired in the middle of it and then 
shaved chocolate all on the top. You've never had one? I've never had one, actually. I've never heard of it either. Seriously? It's like a really popular cake here. I don't really eat cake, so. Well, Jordan, next time you come over, which I said this last time, we still need to, we need to have our ginja, our chocolate shot glasses, and I'm going to make sure we have Black Forest cake. We'll just make it a night. <sighs> That's a lot of chocolate. It's one chocolate cup, and like you don't have to finish your cake slice. I, Lauren, I literally don't remember the last time I ate cake. How are we friends? Uh, maybe this hasn't come up yet. No, I this knew might this. Be the I end know of this it. about you. I know it about you. <laughs> but if the podcast suddenly ends, no, this is why. Yeah, this is why. <laughs> this is the last episode and the last interaction on record of us. <laughs> So did you get to eat the cake after the demonstration? No. So that was my other what? complaint. The guy was kind of sassy, but he was like this funny German sassy chef, which those words you don't normally think go together. But at the end, they were saying, oh, you can purchase a slice of cake, but also it was time to board the bus and the cake wasn't in to-go boxes and my social anxiety over trying to figure out the situation and ask for a thing to put it in and then eat it on the bus and try and get a to-go fork. It just wasn't worth it. But I did. I think we had some on the ship that night. At the very least. And you can just tell yourself that that's a cake that you saw get made. Yeah, it's fine. I mean, I've had it before. It's honestly not my favorite cake either. So. What is your favorite cake? Uh, To be very specific, it is German chocolate cake from Pemberton Farms. Good choice. Yeah. Good choice. It's unbelievably dense and absolutely perfect in every way almost like our podcast <laughs> incredibly dense jordan there's one more place i gotta talk us through let's hear it what is it what's the final destination it was one of my favorite places uh was switzerland so our ship docked and the cruise ended in basel which was cool. We walked around in the morning. It's getting more progressively cold as we're now in mid-November. So we walked around and then we were going to take the train from Basel to Lucerne. But then we ended up, it ended up being cheaper for the six of us to split a extra large taxi. Oh my god. Yes, so we took a taxi, which was kind of cool because we saw some countryside. We actually talked to this guy the nicest taxi driver I've maybe ever had. Told us about his whole life story, like helped us get our bags to Airbnb, made phone calls for us to like get the code to get into the Airbnb. Really lovely gentleman. Yeah, I'm somebody that never talks to the Uber driver, but I think in this scenario, you, you should be having a conversation with them. Jordan, we've talked about this. My Uber driver in Scotland, this story needs its own podcast, but, but my Uber driver in Scotland is the reason why I know how to make a Thanksgiving turkey that is the best turkey and I make it every year now and I think of him every year. You should talk to your Uber drivers. I'm Lauren Liedberg and I support this message. I'll pass. I'm Jordan Patterson and <sighs> I support that message. You're missing out on so much. <laughs> but Lucerne was unreal. Yeah, it seems picturesque in every picture that I see of it. Tied for me, the end, the bookends of the trip were probably the best for me. Portugal obviously needed its own podcast. Lucerne, we were only in for maybe two full days, but it really has my heart. You can walk out to this really old 
uh, wooden walking bridge and behind it you just see mountains that are part of the Alps and there's this it's I don't know actually know it's a glacial lake but it is pure clear water there's swans in it there's cute ducks in it it's unreal we had this sunset behind the walking bridge and this and the turret of the walking bridge and the peaks of this jaggedy mountain that is just almost scary like it's so ominous and foreboding to see a mountain like that we really don't have those around here but also beautiful it just it makes you feel small like when you look at the stars during the summer but in a in a really good way and we had this unreal bright pink sunset it it just was one of those really moving experiences and a, a cool town to to walk around did you have fondue yes yes we did i refused to go to switzerland without having fondue i didn't get raclette also but the fondue made up for it what we is raclette so raclette is basically if it's a bigger wheel it's like a full wheel of cheese that part is cut off and they heat up the top of yeah, it yeah yeah yeah. Okay. and they slice the top usually onto veggies or maybe some meat a lot of potatoes but we did mama so we, mia mama mia we went to this fondue place that was all decorated for christmas there were twinkling lights everywhere and you'd actually sit outside and they brought blankets over to you and a little like heated rice pack to keep around you and they had glue vines they had hot mold wine which i had in several places and they served it to you in little mugs and then you it was you would pick the type of fondue to share so we got three slightly different kinds and then they'd bring over fresh cut up bread and a thing of like whole little round potatoes oh my god unbelievable i just i dream about fondue sometimes you feel kind of awful after like don't make any fancy plans after fondue you want to go lay down take a nap the only time that i've ever had fondue is actually with my family and i remember it fondly just at my home like my mom bought a fondue set i have a little one yeah it was just like a cute little one and we just had a nice dinner with it it was so nice can be absolutely delicious i can't talk more highly about fondue i mean i love cheese now you take cheese and you put like maybe a little sherry in it maybe some mushrooms or something if you're getting real fancy you heat it up it's melted it's delicious where can you go wrong it's all the good things in life it's all the good things in life with christmas trees in scotland and a mountain that's part of how did we get to scotland i mean i thought we were in switzerland Uh, i lied to you in switzerland i didn't have fondue in scotland ever uh, so that was beautiful. The whole town was beautiful. And then the next day, what I absolutely recommend everyone does is go to the top of Mount Pilatus, which is one of the mountains that you can see. And it's really beautiful. Everything in Switzerland is expensive. I mean, yeah, I was going to ask. So what are the prices like? You cannot sit down and have one plate at dinner without it being probably equivalent to 25 or 30 us dollars so the fondue was about 30 us dollars per person if not a little bit more the place we went the next night was around the same it's and that's not just the touristy places you can keep walking that's what you're gonna find so the trip that we did up to mount pilatus which you can actually book all of your tickets at a mount pilatus store not far from the water and the main touristy area uh, in Lucerne. So we took a gondola up. So the first gondola was a small little four person. 
And then the next one was a really a larger one. I think maybe there was 16 people in it. But you go up to the very top, which I'm trying to remember exactly how tall it is. Oh, it's about 7,000 feet. So pretty big comparatively to what we have here. And this was actually the last day we went on the 16th, I believe. 16th or 17th? and 16th. And it was the last day it was open for the season for you to be able to go to the top. And there was already so much snow. So you traveled through seasons. At the bottom, it still felt a little bit like fall. And then as you get towards the top, you just start seeing the peaks pass up and these rolling clouds that were just Mm -hmm. changing the weather so fast and snow was everywhere. And that was where I went to my only real Christmas market of the trip. They had a Christmas market called Chris Kindle Mart up there because it was closed for the Christmas season. And it was really cute. It was smaller. Uh, On the inside, they had some stuff. I bought like a cute little knit headband and a little ornament but outside they had some delicious foods I had glue vines standing at the top of this mountain in the snow just looking at these unbelievable views with these clouds that would roll in and you wouldn't be able to see like 15 feet in front of you and they had an ice cutter it was really it was magical it put me I think that's why I've been in such Christmas spirit this whole time like this entire season I've been extra Christmassy and I think it's because of that moment it was beautiful just really magical How's the wind up there? Uh, it was pretty windy. It would bite at you, but it wasn't windy like you're blowing away, to be honest. Blow off the mountain. Yeah, it didn't feel like that. And there were places to like duck into. There's a little place you could eat up there, but we just got food at the, the Christmas market. And then the package we took, you actually took a cog railroad down. So that's like a... It's built into the side of a mountain and built to be at a steep angle. And it was the world's steepest cogwheel railway with a 48% grade, which was so scary. The whole time you're just kind of like, I really hope the brakes don't give out. But it was gorgeous. I honestly think it cost almost $80 per person. Oh my god. Because I believe it was in like around 70 Swiss francs. Because you need to remember, I may have made this mistake earlier in the podcast to be honest switzerland is not on the euro they're on the swiss franc so your euro money is no good when you travel there don't try it it's really terrible it's usually a terrible conversion very good point so that was gorgeous we went to a rat house brewery in lucerne that also was right on the water and we sat outside had had a pretzel again for that kind of because we were in like the german area of switzerland uh, and then we stumbled upon in this square right next to the water this competitive marching band thing. And I took a picture of the sign that I still haven't translated, but I think it may have been related to carnival or a yearly thing. It was packed. People were drinking in the square. There were all these marching bands, but they had ornate costumes and headpieces. Like headpieces, like think of Disney World, like characters putting them on their heads, but they were like giant intricate mice or some of them were roosters it was so weird and I still don't know what it was but it was one of those serendipitous moments of we weren't looking for anything and just happened to stumble on this weird cultural event heard this great music heard these people like singing along and drinking and people were dressed up and then they all paraded out and the square was empty and we were like what like we have no idea what just happened but I'll never forget it yeah that's so neat it's I think it's always 
the best thing for memories is just stumbling upon those types of things, especially when you're not even looking for it. And I also learned that they don't really do breakfast in Switzerland. They just, we tried to find breakfast on our last day and they were kind of confused, said grab a coffee and a pastry and that was really it. Did you find that in Amsterdam and France and Germany it was like that? Because in my experience, breakfast is always like a pastry and coffee. Yeah, I did. I guess it was just everywhere else that was really what we were doing in the morning or we'd be on the ship and eat something quick. And Switzerland, for some reason, it wasn't like that necessarily in Portugal. We were always just so busy we happened to be grabbing coffee and a pastry. But that was the one day that we had kind of awkward timing before getting to our flight in Zurich. So we wanted to sit down and do a breakfast type thing and we're just not in the right spot. It's not mm-hmm. definitely not as big in Europe. It's really all you need though is a nice coffee. I know. Get a you nice, through the day. A good coffee and a good pastry and that's it. Yeah, so that was my trip. It was a lot. A lot happened fast. I I think I learned that some of my favorite parts of traveling, I, I really do love staying in one place for at least a couple days. So I'll probably focus my next few trips on that versus the sampling style but it was something that i'm really glad i experienced and some cities that i may not have ever made it to otherwise and it sounds like you had some great experiences which is what it's all about it was really incredible good to be back in the states though yeah we can say that (laughs) home i mean i i missed people i missed you i missed other people that I'm really close to but I kind of realized that if it wasn't for those the handful of relationships that aren't already kind of super long distance like a lot of my friends live on the other side of the country so I mainly talk via social media to them anyways I think I I think I could disappear I think I could live in Europe or live somewhere else and and be okay give it a few years yeah. Might be doing this remotely. Well, we are doing, we are it, doing remotely it remotely, now, but more remotely. <laughs> Don't tell them that you're ruining the magic. Ruining we the get magic on the podcast every week. <laughs> well, yeah, that's that's really all I have. So two episodes ago, I asked us the question that someone submitted, and I said, "How do you handle luggage barriers?" But the real question that I was told was actually, how do you handle language barriers? Ah, that makes much more sense. So I will speak from the perspective of only having gone to European countries. And European countries are a little different from other nations throughout the world in that the knowledge of English is a little more widespread, especially with the younger people there. And with that being said, it's always courteous, no matter where you go, to have a knowledge of high goodbye, thank you, please, you're welcome, just the basic politeness. And really with that, that's really all you need to know. Uh, I would also recommend downloading the language on Google Translate. With the technology that we have now, you can download it and just use it as a reference point while offline. You don't even need to be connected to the internet anymore. And just, yeah, just be polite. Uh, You can go up to somebody, say hello, in their language and then you can also just ask in their language too you can say hello english in a question tone and that typically works with me if you really want to go overboard and be a very nice person you could ask them in their language learn the phrase hello do you speak english 
please, etc., etc. And then just charades. Honestly, charades <laughs> and working through it is if you really need to get something done in that kind of scenario, charades work very well. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't advise you to not travel if you're worried about that because there's in the world today. And again, I'm specifically talking about Europe because that's the experience that I have. In the world today, English is pervasive enough that you can get by. 100%. And I think if you even just learn a couple words that can get by, you don't need to know how to say, hi, like, where is the bathroom? If you know how to say, hello, bathroom, question mark, people are just going to appreciate your trying. Oftentimes, they'll even switch to English if they can speak it. I do think inevitably you're going to have an awkward or uncomfortable situation where maybe someone's rude. Maybe you're not coming off as great as you think you are. And there's just, it doesn't matter even how nice you both are. There's a frustration when you're trying to figure something out and they're trying to help you or vice versa. And it's just not going to happen. And that's just part of traveling and, and you learn and you live and you learn from it. And keep moving on, but you have to kind of accept that at some point you're going to have at least several uncomfortable interactions or you're probably not traveling, right? And Jordan would know that from his uh, un bag and un baguette story. Yeah. You just got to move forward, yeah. live and let live. Yeah, and I had many of those, but definitely learn a few phrases. I would even re-Google them right before I walked up to people. And sometimes you just mess up and you gotta yeah. laugh about it, write it down as one of your crazy stories and move on. Sometimes people learning Spanish, as most people learning Spanish will say, they say that they're excited about something. And being <laughs> excited in Spanish doesn't really mean what you think it means. So it's just something that you learn. <laughs> Thanks for listening. If you have questions, comments, or topic suggestions, feel free to email us at unravelourtravel at gmail.com.